Ah, uh, look, I want to say, I know you know a lot of super people, so thanks for thanking of me. Hey, man, got a big box of porn for you. Isn't it weird, though, when you have a kid and all your dreams and hopes just go right out the window? Why don't you get off your board and get on, get out of your, my dreams and into my car? Why does everything I do sound like a leprechaun? You know how I know you're gay? Yeah. You like cold like. Man, I don't know. I quit wearing a watch and I'm his dad here. No, like my cell phone has a clock on it, so I don't really need it. 60% of the time, it works. Every time. All I want is to take that picture and dump it onto my penis balls. Congratulations, you stupid in three languages. I'm gonna put my dick in. I'll shake your hands. Wow, this is awesome. Captain America. I know you too. You're great. Apparently, I'm not a funny guy. I'm Ant-Man. Welcome, true believers, to the Under Channel versus the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This is Robert Under at my side, turning knobs, a man in the drops, Aaron. That's a scam, bro. We live in California, not Minnesota. And our resident water bear, Steve. How are you doing, guys? Today, we're going to be talking Ant-Man and the Wasp, released on July 6, 2018, and directed by Peyton Reed. Ant-Man and the Wasp was the 20th film to be released and is the 20th film chronologically. Scott Lang has spent the two years since the events of Captain America Civil War on house arrest, and just as freedom is within his reach, he's pulled back in to help retrieve the original Wasp from the Quantum Realm. These movies have been talked to death, so we're not going to go too deep, but here's a couple points I'd like to discuss. We are still experiencing some fallout from the Sokovia Accords. So in the two years since Civil War, Scott Lang, uh, Ant-Man, has been on house arrest. Isn't it interesting to see how regular people live inside this universe mm -hmm. because I would assume all of those other heroes that were on Scott Lang's side do not have a tether on his ankle <laughs> yeah, stuck ankle, in his yeah. house for two years. And that's the best part about the Ant-Man movies is it's very regular. Yeah. <laughs> it's a slice of life. Not every superhero can be a tall tale where it's like he's the greatest of all time. No, Scott Lang is just he lucked into the right house and ended up being a superhero yep so he spent the two years kind of laying low hanging out with his daughter building up a business with his friends a security business uh, which tied into former crooks understanding how to exploit weaknesses in security what did you guys think of the cop the uh the guy from fresh off the boat and the dictator who played the main cop who kept agent Wu. Is that his name, Agent Wu? Yeah, the Korean guy. The I didn't Asian want to guy. believe that was his real name because that seems too stereotypical <laughs> for me. But what did you think of his uh, his role perfect. in this? Did you enjoy it? It was perfect. I want more. I want more. Do you, do you want to see that dinner date between him and Lane? <laughs> I want to see it. I want to see those two. Yes. They can go on a dinner date together. I sanction this. So something that's fun to see in this movie is you get to see Scott Lang, who is not a super intelligent person constantly surrounded by people who are talking way above way him. above and what's weird is though he he's an electrical he has a he's a master degree in electrical engineering though is that the comic book or the no that's MCU in, the, one? in the mcu is too that's but aaron, aaron they're they talking abandoned. about quantum that's true they're, they're talking they've about gone way beyond his it's abilities. just it's noticeable multiple times but they're talking about movie. quantum when he's like uh, literally everything every other word was quantum this quantum. yeah it's like you guys just put quantum in front of everything <laughs> but he really is like you could probably count 15 times in this movie when he's like i don't even know what that means yeah. right so pretty funny i mean the most important character in the entire movie the star of the movie 
70% of the time has no idea what's going, what's going on. on. <laughs> but the people around him, the Pims, and we get to, this is an entire Pym family affair from Michael Douglas, Hank Pym, busting out that old 1950s astronaut-looking Ant-Man suit to journey into the quantum realm. You get to finally see Janet Van Dyne, who is lost in the quantum realm. We were just talking about how the rich live, right? So Scott Lang's stuck in his little house for two years, and Hope picks him up after... Oh, we didn't even talk about that fucking vision. That was like the whole setup of the scene of the movie. So while he's on his house arrest, as he nears the end, he has a vision of what well, we can only assume is Hope playing hide and seek with her mom. Yeah, playing hide and seek with her mom. And he's actually seeing that scene from the eyes of the mom. Michelle Pfeiffer. And as soon as we get that, that's when the Pims are brought into this universe. Mm -hmm. And uh, they end up picking Scott Lang up. Awesome scene. They leave an ant back at his house with the... The anklet on him. With the anklet on him. And the ant is programmed to do his exact routine. So, like, take a bath for two hours, play rock band or electronic (laughs) drums for a while. Sit and watch some high-life TV. So while Scott Lang may be just hanging out in the suburbs at his house, the Pims have been very busy. They have a mobile lab set up. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, they, they can shrink down their entire building. That was the only thing that kind of threw me off, is that's such a big building to just plop up anywhere. It does seem like they... How do they get everything to shrink? Right. And they do it with so many things. They make a lot of stuff shrink, including people. Mm-hmm. Like, they make... They, that car shrinks and Lewis shrinks with it. Mm-hmm. But he didn't have the ability to shrink outside of the car. Right. Just, it gets a little fetchy, but... You mean the writers didn't know how to write this movie? <laughs> no, there's a big uh, white switch in it. <laughs> they pull that switch and everything shrinks. But yeah, I think that the uh, the pin particle is... Um, Pretty interesting in and of itself. So it's it's nice that we get a whole Pym family affair out of it and see what they're up to and how, how brilliant they are. And there's a few different factions in this movie, a couple different storylines going on at the same time, but there really isn't a villain within this movie. Overall, maybe Walter Goggins' character, who's like that underlord criminal. Right. Uh, Birch. Birch, yep. yeah. Um, but the main, I guess what you would consider the supervillain would be Ghost Ava Starr, I believe her name was in this movie. Um, yes. But even then, it, her story is horrific. Yeah, I, I is, thought the uh, the Nebula way. story was bad, and that's pretty bad because that's what your dad's doing to you. But can you imagine that something that you can't control, something that can't be explained away, like every single day your molecules in your body break down and then reform themselves, and you feel every single one of them as if you're being disintegrated and you're over and over and over too. yeah that would be not fun because especially the fact that you know that you're unstable so you may not come back together you may phase shift out of existence and you have zero control over how it, it works we uh we get to meet larry fishburne's character lawrence i call him larry <laughs> yeah larry. larry larry fishburne larry that's the old name for him that was before he was okay anyway. before he was lawrence don't trying to boys in the hood it yeah. It wasn't his name in there either. Lawrence. He used to be Larry. Lawrence Olivier. Lawrence Fishburne. I don't think he was in that. <laughs> Lawrence Fishburne's character, who's kind of a surrogate dad to her, to Ava Starr's character, the ghost, trying to work on a way to help her from phase shifting. He himself has a interconnected history with the Pims. And say. you find out that Hank is kind of an asshole. A little bit. It's hard because is he an asshole or... 
does no. he just not trust? He doesn't trust anybody with that type of power. With that type of power, and most of these people work for the Starks, and he doesn't trust Starks as it is. And it seems like anybody that kind of messes up a little bit, they're out. Yeah, they're out. You mentioned this with the previous. Ant-Man movie you said uh, it reminded you of a family film mm-hmm. this is a film about fatherhood you have Scott Lang and his daughter you have the Pym relationship and then you have Lawrence Fishburne's character with Ghost you have multiple pretty heavy father-daughter or father-child rela- really father-daughter they're all father-daughter relationships yep. throughout this whole thing so was this movie released on Father's Day I feel like it's kind of that vibe if not they missed something there are no other real MCU cameos in this movie though. To think about, we're 20 movies in at this point and we just got through the original Ant-Man mm-hmm. which featured a bunch of MCU connective tissue. Well, it definitely featured uh, Falcon. Uh, right. But Sh- after Hydra. that... Oh, okay. you know, I'm saying there were some nuts and bolts behind the MCU yeah. that just wasn't really present in this no, movie. This, this seemed almost like it wasn't necessarily... I mean, obviously it is MCU, but it seemed like it wasn't an MCU movie at the mm-hmm. same time. It's all happening and coexisting alongside of Civil War, or not Civil War, Infinity War. Mm. Um, but, yeah, you're right. There's nobody around to give you more of a feel. So, it's again, it's kind of like what we talked about with the original Ant-Man movie. It's its own caper. Mm-hmm. It's its own heist movie in, in some regards. Yeah, it's... They can't all be end of the world. Yeah. Not everything Those can be end of the world. always can't be that high. It doesn't make it as exciting when they are that big. So you shit on this movie quite a bit leading up to it. <laughs> I enjoyed it more than I expected to because I, I was assuming it was going to be really, really slow. But I don't know. I think they did a good job with it. It's, it's a little off considering how many other movies we've seen and how far we are into this story for them to release like an isolated story like this. But still think it does a good job of, of what it's looking to do. I just felt that the movie stalled out a lot on itself. Like the scene where they have to go get another suit for some reason mm. at the elementary school. I mean, you have some comedic parts in there. Like she takes jabs at Scott when he shrinks down. And she's like, oh, if Cap can see you now. Because he's really impressed with himself that he fought alongside Captain America. Kind of brings it up a lot. But that particular part they bog down. And it's like doesn't seem necessary for them to have to get another suit mm-hmm. um trying to think of other parts the whole scene where they meet uh lawrence fishburne i mean it's nice to introduce this character and you do get some backstory out of it but again that part of the scott didn't even need to be there it seemed like scott wasn't part of it i mean you get the good exchange that goes back and forth between the two of them but I don't know. There, there's a lot of parts in this movie where it got tough to finish watching it. So for a movie that doesn't have the scale of something like some of the Avengers movie where it's going to be, you know, world-changing or life-defining, it slows down a lot. If it wasn't Ant-Man who was presented with this problem, if Iron Man had been, you know, given the issue of doing this, probably wouldn't have even been a two-hour movie. Mm. Tony Stark could have knocked this one out in an afternoon. Yeah. They do a lot of running, chasing, moving after each other type stuff. And I don't know. I guess it just is like, okay, well, it's another one of those scenes. It's another one of those scenes. I, I guess I enjoyed the movie overall. Mm-hmm. It is good to back-to-back them, watch Ant-Man and then watch Ant-Man 2. Mm-hmm. 
it, it builds a stronger viewing experience, I guess, if you're in for four hours of Ant-Man. Yeah, <laughs> they definitely offer a different type of viewing experience than any other movies in the cinematic universe. Yeah. So as we close out this last reaction piece before we get into Infinity War, which will then take us directly into Endgame, I want to take just a moment to recap where every one of the characters in the Marvel Universe are at in this very moment. Now, Aaron, Steve, you guys have both seen Infinity War, so I'm not going to have you guys jump in and spoil too much. I just want to talk through them. Cap and Iron Man, we're still sitting right at the end of Civil War with them. There has been no growth since then, so technically Captain America is still a fugitive, correct? Correct. Now, you guys know nothing from Infinity War on. I mean, if I'm missing something that took place in one of the movies we watched, please fill that in. Okay. Next up, Thor and the Hulk. Thor is a space pirate now. The Hulk is the muscle, the first man on his crew. They are sitting in a ship. They are sitting in a ship right in front of Thanos' ship, which was 15, 20 times the size of theirs. Yes. Black Widow and Hawkeye. Black Widow is still kind of just tied up in the Sokovia Accords, trying to keep peace with everyone. Hawkeye is retired. Hawkeye went back to retirement. Yeah, retired with quotes around it. Guardians of the Galaxy, they're just They're mourning the death of Yondu. Hmm. Okay. So they are mourning the death of Yondu. Other than that, they're just driving around in space. Yep, doing space stuff. Stealing shit. Black Panther is in Wakanda, bringing his country into the new millennium, into the new world. Bucky is there. White Wolf. All right. And then Ant-Man and the Wasp, we we just talked about their movie. Yeah, so something big's about to happen because... It's not like all these characters are standing in the same room. This is about as spread out as every character has been throughout the entirety of this MCU. Mm -hmm. You have the main two sets of characters are against each other. You've got two of the other main characters aren't even in the same galaxy. The Guardians haven't even met any of the other characters from the universe. So, I don't know, anything else you guys want to say before we lead into? Basically, all your bonds are severed. Everything that kept all these characters as one is gone. Black Widow and uh, Clint Barton. Nah, nope. That's not a dynamic duo anymore. One doesn't want to do any of this hero stuff anymore. The other one is kind of on the edge, trying to keep the peace, like you said. Steve Rogers and Iron Man. Two sides of a coin, gone. That's over with. Everybody is gone in, in most respects. They are not a part of... The Avengers is no longer... That doesn't exist at this point. S.H.I.E.L.D. doesn't exist. S.H.I.E.L.D.'s gone. The whole cinematic universe up until this point is kind of in shambles. Yeah. Wow, they've really built up something incredible and then burnt it down. I mean, just within the past, say, five movies, they've really destroyed this universe. Mm -hmm. And it all started with Ultraman. To close out the first part of the show, we decided to feature a single piece of dialogue that we felt best captured the essence of the film. Allow me to paint you a picture. After visions from his time in the quantum realm bring him back into contact with Hank and Hope Pym, Scott Lang attempts to focus in on Janet Van Dyne's location. You got anything? Nothing. Just give it a minute because it could... What's happening? It's shutting down. Maybe our vectors are off. We've gone over them a million times. No, they're right. Well, then what else could it be? I don't know. Stop. 
Scott, what are you doing? Scott, get away from that. Scott, I'm sorry. I don't know how much time I have. I need to fix the algorithm. Trust me, after 30 years down here, I've thought about it a lot. Shannon? Reunion I'd imagined. It's all so rushed. You two have done such great work. You just need a little nudge. where you are. Tell us how to find you. you know, the probability fields are too complex. That's why I needed to talk to you. You have to follow my voice. Of course. Like tracing a call back to its source. I'm tracking the signal using subatomic frequencies between point two and point nine. I'd narrow it to four and six. It's too tight. We could miss you. Look at us squabbling again. Fine. Uh, between three and seven. Our first fight in decades, and it's over just like that. Bullseye. Source lock. It's you. If you enjoy what you've heard so far, our website is theunderchannel.com. More episodes are available on YouTube, iTunes, and Stitcher, and you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Over 21 movies in 11 years, the minds behind the Marvel Cinematic Universe have worked to craft one of the deepest interconnected film series of all time. It's time for Aaron to tell us just how Ant-Man and the Wasp ties into the overall storyline by serving up some connective tissue. Following cinematically-wise, alongside Infinity War, we are looking at a Scott Lang who is now on, I think they said, two years house arrest. Mm -hmm. So two years house arrest for fighting with, alongside a group of fugitives that did not want to go along with the Sokovia Accord. He gets put into that supermax prison facility, the raft underneath the ocean. He gets broken out, returns back to normal civilian life, and all he gets is two years of house arrest. He does all these things, and he's only on two years house arrest. It doesn't seem plausible. And if you consider the other members of the team, like you said, they didn't get anything. I'm sure they were like, peace, we're out. <laughs> and, uh, they black widowed him at the end of, was that the original Avengers movie? Yeah. Just arrest us, I guess. Yeah, arrest know? us. Have fun. Try. But it's still, it's enjoyable to get put into um, a regular guy's life, mm -hmm. I guess you would say. Even if it seems maybe he got a little superhero privilege towards his punishment. Hank and Hope are fugitives as well, though, because they designed the, the, the technology that he used when he went to Germany. Did all this stuff over there to help fight alongside Captain America. So they're fugitives as well. Um, they've done a good job of hiding and not being seen or found, other than doing their black market deals with Sonny Birch. 
in finding all that tech to continue building the quantum realm. Their long goal on that is obviously to make contact somehow with uh, the mother Janet, who is stuck and has been lost because they are. Hank is very encouraged by the fact that Scott got back. Scott made it back from the the quantum realm. There must be a way. There must be a way to do this. You know, whether it's that blue disc it gives them or something else. There's got to be a way to get back. So they come up with a. Uh, their own little tunnel thing and then a ship that can go in there and they can actually travel via quantum realm spaceship the initial reaction when scott they're going on their mission all back together and hope says to him you know if you had asked me i would have come with you yeah when they were discussing that i think that was probably the best scene in the movie for me like i really felt that character's conviction i felt it when she said if you would ask me i would have gone and I really believed it when she said, Angie wouldn't have got caught. Hmm. I mean, when she said that, I was like, you know, he's absolutely right. He's too much of a dumbass to go there by himself. So Yeah, and they, they did a good job of playing that. that Like, their their romantic entanglement and how they separate is very believable. Definitely. So, Evangeline Lilly does a good job of playing that character and being able to uh, disconnect have there be this friction between the two of them because at first when the movie starts you don't understand why they're not together it doesn't make sense but as the movie draws it you're like oh it's because he just ditched her yeah and michael douglas gets the perfect amount of small shots in and mm-hmm. can you please stop fantasizing <laughs> about my daughter for just a moment like they're <laughs> sitting in the car right next to each other Lawrence Fishburne is a character we're introduced into, uh, Bill Foster, who was an associate of Hank Pym's back in the day. They worked together on Project Goliath, which is obviously where you can grow as Ant-Man. I don't think Ant-Man was originally intended to grow. Maybe they were going to have Goliath-Man. I'm not 100% on that, but it's fun. Good exchange between the two of them, how they compare how big they were able to grow. And then later on, you see Scott grow even huger. So, um, and then they do make the reference in Civil War where he's like, I don't know, I passed out. When he's <laughs> talking about how big he got, he thought he ripped himself in half. Well, what actually happens is they explain it to him in Ant Man and Wasp that his body got so big, it's hard for his body to keep him going, keeping the oxygen levels up, the heart, the blood flowing, and everything. It causes him to pass out. So when he goes super big in the boat scene, he's out pretty quick. Uh, Project Goliath was mentioned in Iron Man 2 alongside Project Pegasus, which we come to find out from Captain Marvel. The only one I don't believe we've really gotten into the surface of was Project Exodus, which was mentioned in Iron Man 2. So I'm still kind of wondering if they're going to flesh out Project Exodus going forward. Maybe it's something that they get into with Endgame. It's probably something comic book fans are like, obviously it's this character, nerd. Yeah, most likely. (laughs) Janet Van Dyne is eventually freed. They all get out, and then they all become friends. Ghost is healed. Uh, Everything's great. And they begin exploring the quantum realm and extracting quantum energy because that's one of the powers that Janet Van Dyne changes her body with. So they start farming the quantum realm, essentially, to help Ava Starr keep herself together in that scene you see scott getting ready to go in there to pick up some more energy and janet van dyne warns him not to fall into or go into the time vortex we'll see how much that plays out because 
he doesn't get lost in a time vortex or anything like that, but she definitely warns him about it. So maybe there's going to be more time travel play because of that. Scott gets the energy and he's ready to come back out at this point. And that's when we definitely find out we are running alongside Infinity War because you flash back to the rooftop where they were doing everything and everybody's been reduced to ash because of the snap. Pretty interesting. So that's kind of it for uh, Ant-Man and Wasp and how it ties in going forward. We'll see if there's more things that Ant-Man continues to influence amongst the Marvel Cinematic Universe. When Marvel launched the MCU, they redefined canon for every one of their characters. These versions are now the public perceptions of Ant-Man and the Wasp. John Q. Public won't be referring to the Quarterbins when defending their favorite superhero's badassery. They'll be talking about these movies. But that doesn't mean the stories being told are original, so let's check out where the studios found their inspiration. The Astonishing Ant-Man, numbers 1 through 13 from 2015. This modernized version of Ant-Man is the closest representation to the Scott Lang portrayed by Paul Rudd in the MCU, following his story from ex-con to being a member of the Avengers. Avengers Volume 4, numbers 31 through 34 from 2012. Though the circumstances differ from the film explanation, this short story arc introduced the concept of Janet Van Dyne's rescue from what's called the shrunken place in the comics. Not until 2012 was that concept introduced of bringing her back from that realm. The shrunken place. Avengers Volume 1, number 32 from 1966. When Hank Pym is trapped at the oversized height of 10 feet, it's his lab assistant, Bill Foster, who must help find the cure. The character would go on to become the size-changing hero Black Goliath, starting in 1975's Power Man number 24. And that reference in the movie where he says, uh, how big did you get? 21 feet. That was actually the record he set in one of the comic books. That was the largest he had ever gotten. Uh, which was blown away when he says, I don't know, 65 feet? <laughs> Finally, Tales to Astonish number 38 from 1962. First appearance of disgraced scientist Elias Starr, accused of selling nuclear secrets to the U.S. government. This is the character who is ghost father in this movie, the bald guy who you see get irradiated. The character was used as the basis point for the father of Ava Starr, the version of Ghost featured in the film. Half the fun of watching these movies isn't just what you should be paying attention to, it's little pieces of fanfare hidden in plain sight. It's time for Steve to strap on his floppy ears and share some Easter eggs. Did you guys know that Paul Rudd actually did learn some close-up magic for this movie? I don't doubt he did because that's how dedicated Paul Rudd is to his acting career. Paul Rudd's the man. He slapped at a bass. I guarantee you he learned how to play Rush on bass when he did that movie. That is not the movie you should be referencing if you're talking about strong Paul Rudd performances. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Rob Schneider could have played that role. No. Scott Grimble's... Just wearing a hat and sunglasses does not conceal your identity. This has been a running joke among fans since several MCU characters have been using this technique. That's pretty good. Including Cap, Iron Man, Thor, Black Widow, Winter Soldier, Scarlet Witch, Nick Fury, and Falcon. Michelle Pfeiffer and Paul Rudd played lovers in I Could Never Be Your Woman. In this film, she played his girlfriend's mother, which I find kind of ironic because, and remember that one scene where Michelle Pfeiffer goes into side inside Scott's head mm -hmm. and pretty much just and Paul Rudd this is one of probably the best acting scene by Paul Rudd just completely tell like how do I put this in words 
Oh, when he becomes her. When, yeah. When, when, Jan, uh, when Janet Van Dyne possesses yeah, you can Scott say possesses. Lang's body. Yeah, in a good way. Oh, and then like she's talking to Hank Pym, and he's he's all into it, yeah. and you're like, ew, that's, that's. It was sketchy. That was a <laughs> sketchy scene. So now we're going to be talking about the Stanley cameo. During one of the film's major action sequences involving a chase where various cars and other objects rapidly shrink and grow in size to evade one another, an elderly man is seen attempting to enter his parked car where it suddenly shrinks, appearing to vanish from sights right in front of him. A close-up reveals that it's Stan Lee, who responds with, Well, the 60s were great, but now I'm paying for it. And I feel like we have to do something here at this point, because in the first Ant-Man Stan Lee credit scenes, we said that this was the Stan Lee cameo scene. So we were completely wrong. The Stan Lee cameo scene in the first Ant-Man was when Lewis was telling the story about his friend and getting to know Falcon and stuff like that. They're in a bar, and you see Stan Lee saying what Louis says, and it's about a girl that was super fine. And that was the Stanley cameo. We screwed up when we did our first Ant-Man episode. And um, by we, we mean Steve. <laughs> I'll take full blame. I don't care. <laughs> his computer crashed at the time. It wasn't his fault. I'll take the blame. <laughs> I'm not perfect. So we're just trying to hopefully make up for it. And this is where Steve hits him with a live read. Maybe. If you enjoy what you've heard so far, our website is theunderchannel.com. More episodes are available on YouTube, iTunes, and Stitcher. And you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. When I was watching that today and that Stan Lee scene popped up, I was like, oh, man, we did say it wrong. Yeah. But it's no big deal. Fuck them. No one likes these movies anyway. Will you accept a third Ant-Man movie? Only if they actually go into detail of the quantum. The quantum quantum realm. realm. Because they're just, apparently, like I didn't see the first one, but this one, they're just like, quantum, quantum, quantum. And you're showing nothing about it. Well, okay, yes. I understand how you would say that, yes. And also, Michelle Pfeiffer's character... It showed to no detail how she survived in 30 years in there. It's just, you're just supposed to believe, oh, she just drank, like, she, like, she drank quantum juice. Yeah, which it gave her those finger powers. How would you want a third Ant-Man movie to be? Oh, no, I don't know the source material. I got it. I would want it to be like Osmosis Jones. <laughs> what? So, Captain America gets infected with some kind of space AIDS. Okay. And he assembles a team to go magic school bus inside <laughs> Captain America to fight off the virus. Oh, that's pretty good. Because I couldn't think of another Use type of, of villain yeah. that would be his powers to go small. So how about a prequel story? Would you accept a prequel story where there is no Scott Lang? It is Hank Pym. And Michelle Pfeiffer's Janet Van Dyne. You get to see them as Ant-Man and Wasp back when. Because they were part of the original Avenger crew. Yeah. And obviously we're not going to have an Avengers crew. Mm-hmm. But we're going to have some sort of hero set that involves Hank Pym and Janet Van Dyne. And who they are. Because we know that Hank Pym was in World War II. We don't know if he fought alongside Captain America or not. But he definitely was there fighting for America and we know that they were part of what I would assume was the Cuban Missile Crisis and that's when Janet Van Dyne disappears when Mm -hmm. they went after that ballistic missile 
and that was a very quick scene that was touched upon in the first one and then again they revisited it in the second Ant-Man and Wasp movie but that's kind of all you get out of it you don't understand the stakes you don't understand anything else about it what was going on it's just that's all you get so could you accept a third movie if it was just a prequel movie if they do a prequel I think that they would want to base it around Lawrence Fishburne's character of the okay. Black Goliath and have that the point where his partnership with Hank Pym fractured. Yep. If they're going to do a third pure Ant-Man and the Wasp movie, I think that it will involve his daughter joining the team, Cassie. In the comic book, she eventually is a superhero. Oh, okay. So I would assume, because they made the illusion of, I would be a good partner when he kind of laughed at her when yeah. she's like, I want to be your partner. That is my thought. Uh, if it's going maybe to happen, be another one. maybe um, father-daughter training Superhero relationship. Duel, yeah. yep. Pretty good stuff. It's not as good as Osmosis Jones, <laughs> Ant-Man, though. <laughs> did he do the live read? Yeah. Oh. And then I brought that in. Oh. The time has come for the Marvel Cinematic Universe giant size trivia challenge. Aaron and Steve will face off daily to determine who's really paying attention as they attempt to slog through these films. Scores will tally throughout the month, and at the end, whoever has answered the most questions correct will be crowned the winner, and the loser shall face punishment. As always, I have three questions. The first will go to Aaron, the second to Steve, and the third will be open to whoever answers first. I've given both of you guys a buzzer. Aaron, your sound is... Steve, your sound is... I do need to hear that sound before I hear the answer on that third question, gentlemen. Aaron, the name of Cassie Lang's teacher whose classroom Ant-Man and the Wasps sneak into to retrieve the original Ant-Man costume. Mrs. Jameson. That is incorrect. Steve? Mrs. Buttersworth. (laughs) (laughs) That is incorrect. It is Mrs. Broadwell. Stupid. That better have been on a chalkboard. It was right on the door he walked up to. They showed it multiple the times. Okay. Yeah, multiple times. Steve, to ensure Scott does not get busted leaving his house while on house arrest, an ant is left on it. A- if you're asking me what type of ant that is. An ant is left in his place. Programmed to follow his daily routine, at one point he is sitting on the couch chowing down a box of what kind of cereal? Okay. I, was hoping, I was hoping for what, what does he do? Um... Cinnamon Toast Crunch. That is incorrect. It's the number one selling cereal in America. How is that incorrect? I don't think ants can eat cinnamon. <laughs> I don't know about that, but okay. We Have you ever seen ants out. eat cinnamon? <laughs> <laughs> you want ants? This is how you get ants. Do you have a guess? Captain Crunch. Incorrect. It is Fruit Loops. That's a shitty cereal. Question number three. You guys get your buzzers ready on this one. Manufacturer of the car chosen by Lewis after being told the cars in the Hot Wheel carrying case were real. It's the car that. It's the purple car. Yeah. It's uh, the car with the flames. I'm going with Ford. Me- Ford? Yeah. That is incorrect. It's not a Ford? Mm-mm. I was going to say, I thought it was the car that Melody drives, and that's a Ford. Yeah. Honda. Oh, so close. Oh. It is a Hyundai Velostar. <laughs> which I thought was an electronics company. No, they make all kinds. They make cars. And with that, we end the show. But fear not, we shall return tomorrow with Avengers Infinity War.